0: Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I've got UBO with me to introduce UBO a little bit. Since he joined my Discord not too long ago, he's been giving me hands-on lessons on improving the marketing side of Shmups, helping me improve my YouTube channel, figuring out the tags and all that kind of stuff. Man has been a massive resource, and he's got a lot of really cool projects and ideas he's working on that's really helping out the schmub community. So I want to bring him on and introduce him to y'all. Welcome, UBO. What's up?
1: Hi. Uh, thank you for such a nice introduction, um, Mark. Just to give some background about me, like I used to play shmups long ago when I was a teen. Like I just stopped playing uh, shmups as soon as I got to college. Uh, it was more more a thing that I did like in the mid 2000s, and I used to play like um, some doujin shmups that were shelled back by- back then in like both uh, a site called doujin Style nice. and um, the Farm. Which I was more of a lurker. I was more of a lurker back then. I did just like credit feeding back then, because uh, I was not that good, and there were not that many resources. And uh, back where I where I lived back then, there was no arcade. So yeah, I I got introduced to MAME by a friend that was a big Street Fighter fan, and he wanted to play, uh, one Street Fighter game that we could we did not own, and we could not own or play elsewhere so was i remember he showed me like hey I'm um, just i i think it was third strike nice. yeah yeah i think it was third strike really big in emulation back then so it was just like yeah sure why not so and it was one of the main versions with a ui I, I started like playing games and uh, like my first up is probably was probably um either sonic wings for the snes or a uh, life force for the nes like uh, just to make a, a like a, a little announcement like i'm not a native speaker so if i make any mistake while talking I, I excuse myself for that beforehand hey no problem man shout out to you for
0: knowing english i mean i can only speak english so this podcast would be rough times if you know if we try to have me speak any other language so no yeah don't worry about that at all man you
1: speak really well yeah and uh, thank you and yeah that's uh kind of my story with Trump's and so, I got a few clears when I was like maybe like 15, 17, 16, 17. Just like really crappy clears. I don't know how I got some of those. Like, I don't know how I got the Yasparade clear. I have no idea how I managed to do that back then. I also played a lot of uh, Bluish Resurrection. Oh, nice. For some reason, I, I love that game. It's an awesome. I really love that game. In regards to what uh, what we we're talking today, I've had. Uh, chats. I, I remember I started going into voice chats with different members of the community and uh, like every time we talked we were always talking about how we're never gonna grow or we're never gonna get bigger and uh, and I'm like hell yes we're gonna we can do it we can do it I'm tired of this like pessimistic point of view and that we cannot grow bigger that every everything has been done that we've tried this, we've seen this before, and I don't blame people. Like, I don't blame people for being cynics. Yeah, I, I, I get it. When you've been in the scene for more than 10 years, 15 years, or uh, however long you have been, it's normal that you have seen, like, how it has been in a, in a constant, uh, or not a constant, but an apparent constant decline. But I, I do not believe it. that's that's the case, because I've seen a lot of growth, uh, like, elsewhere. And in the other hand, since I left Shmups like more than 10 years ago, I was like casually participating and playing other Shmups and other stuff like some Toho games and uh, some other PC Shmups. I also played a couple of hours of 15 hours of Mushi two or three years ago. Nothing that serious. But I, I've always followed the community from places that most people don't. Like and with that I mean like Facebook groups I've seen like kind of arcady themed places and communities online that have a casual interest and uh, and I've seen a lot of people fr- that do not speak English that have a quite a big interest in in shmups. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that you that you even like segued into and that's the the topic of shmups are dead. Right, you know?
0: my video and just then, before this. For this episode yeah,
1: and i've done like some analysis on it and uh, like i've seen it and i kind of studied uh, it a little bit we should give some context on the stuff that has led to this point and i want to take this story and like uh covering all, all of this just to show where we can go after that right so just to give us some context in the early games industry like shooting games were one of the first genres the only game that rivaled uh space invaders uh, back in the late 70s was pac-man like it was only eclipsed by pac-man i could see that yeah and that that caused a lot of growth and and popularity in arcades and and the video game industry as a whole and right. then we have like this like this first set of shmups that evolved a little bit which uh single screen more like and Galaxian, Galaga, Phoenix uh Gyrus, which were more of, of a concept of like wave based. And then we'll we'll have like Sevious, Gradius, mm-hmm. and Defender. Right. Who would start pioneering all the all the scrolling, right? In shooting games and uh, and creating a lot of stuff, particularly so with Gradius. Which I'm not gonna go so in depth, but if somebody hasn't played Gradius but likes a modern like Shmups, they should simply play it. Got a lot of what we consider bullet hell, a lot of what we consider like small hitboxes, it all came from from Gaddius. And then, just to follow along, this trend goes through the mid to late '80s, and uh, it saw like a great explosion of a lot of shooting games that we or a lot of people have played. And then it peaked. It peaked in 1990 with Raiden. Being the 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 biggest huge success uh, of the shmup genre, uh, back then in the nineteen nineties, I checked this on, on arcade history, one of the websites that records like, everything, all the games that were released uh, in that year. A hundred and seventeen different shmup releases. That's crazy. Were done were done in nineteen ninety, and Raiden was as far as I could uh, research. It had a run of. Twenty-six consecutive months—that's two years—in the top ten of arcade sales charts.
0: So I was right 2 this, in comparison. Did you ever see right 2 on there?
1: No, I didn't. I, I actually didn't see right into. said it was released like after after that. Right, but but you definitely like it. Definitely peaked there, and then then we gotta understand like uh, like a few like a few things. One of those things is that arcades as a whole started declining from that moment. And yes, yes, I know that many people who are listening to us right now uh, will say like, but no, like my favorite arcade game was from the 1990s. Right, and Tekken 3 and, and all that stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to say, yeah, you're not wrong, but it a decline. A decline had started. And why, why was it so? It, it has a few reasons for that. But it's mostly the fact that people were already having sort of arcade experiences at home. Because before that, in the 80s, we had like all the different arcades and they were massively, like massively above anything that a console, like a home console, could give you, right. could bring you. Right. But in the, in the 1990s, starting in the 1990s, we had the Sega Genesis, we had the, we had the SNES. We started having the Neo Geo further on. We started having a lot of stuff, right? So they the decline started. And if it wasn't for fighting games, then arcades as a whole would have died, more or less. Or maybe not die, but they would have ceased to exist as we know them. Growing up, fighting games
0: were the premier genre. They're the reason we went to the arcade to play Tekken 4 or to play Soul Calibur and stuff like that. Like, that was the main attraction to go to the arcade where the fighting games. And then I remember we had a right in two cabinet. That was like the only shmup at my local arcade. That's why I was just curious if right in two was hugely popular because if it made it out to my arcades in the middle of, you know, the mountains of Idaho, then I felt like okay, well must have been a pretty popular shmup. Sounds like yeah, Right in exactly. one was actually the peak of like all shmup arcade sales, is that right?
1: Not exactly sure if I would say sales but at least uh as far as arcade cabs sold and or number of or arcades having it and uh how popular it was okay like how how popular shmup was yeah it's more or less that the main appeal of arcades which was like the like great graphics sound and the social gaming experience it, it died in favor of our home consoles because you could do that and then then we have we have all the the internet era the emulation era and uh mame era. But it's just to understand that the first factor that I want to cover is the decline of the arcade industry in general. And maybe they remained really popular in, in Japan, but they declined massively in America, and they declined even even more massively everywhere else. Right. Right? Yeah, I could see that. Mups got supplanted by other genres. And I'm just gonna gloss over this. It's just like some stagnation alongside saturation. We were talking about 117 shmups released in 1990. Right. Out of those, there was a lot of saturation and stagnation as far as design. And yes, I am aware of all the different developments that were made in shmups in the 90s. Yeah, I'm aware and I like those games as well. Like I like all Rising, I like Cave, I like Toa Plan, I like all of this. But we have to put this in in context, like not of our small niche, but of the big picture. Then we have like fatigue and which leads which leads me to the increasingly hardcore demographic. We we know that shmumps have, have like a long history as arcade games and this implies obviously that in their intended design, they got to be difficult. Because otherwise, people would not pay that much. And they would not be appealing at all. And they would not be profitable as machines. So the thing is that as the genre evolved, so did the players. And it never stopped evolving and, and, and growing a more and more niche. Less and less companies doing more and more hardcore games. That's, so... that's
0: what I think is super unique about the genre that I really like is how it kept advancing, where I always like to compare it to Super Mario Bros, where they made Super Mario Bros, you know, one, everyone loved it, and they made Super Mario Bros 2, the actual second one, that's, you know, most people call it Lost Levels now, and from what I, you know, read and what I remember, like, people are like, what the hell is this bullshit? It's way too hard. I always like to make the comparison that shmups are basically if they just kept going rather than stopping and saying, okay, let's back off the difficulty. The genre is like, okay, let's just keep pushing this. And then the players are pushing back. And it's just really interesting. It's like an arms race between the genre and the players. That's, I think it's really cool. Obviously, it made it hard for people to enter the genre. That was kind of the drawback of it. But as far as what makes shmups really cool, that's one uh, thing I really they, like.
1: we got to put it in context in the fact that they did it as as they needed it. Because the only people that were playing shmups then were the enthusiasts. They didn't have the appeal that maybe they had in the '80s. Right. They only had the appeal to that particular sub niche of people that were enthusiasts. So to compensate for the increasing kill in players, they had to make their games increasingly difficult. <laughs> right? right. And we can see this just by looking at the evolution of uh, like I'm gonna give two examples. The evolution from Toa Plan uh, to Cave and uh, a whole bunch of other companies as well. And the other example that would uh, mark a perfect example for this would be Gradius. Like the evolution from Gradius 1 to Gradius 2. And more importantly, the evolution from Gradius 2 to Gradius 3. That's pretty good. It tells you a story, you know? Right. Many people will consider it a quarter muncher back then. I'm not saying it is right now because uh, I I think I honestly think like the game is really 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 tough. Like, I'm not able to clear, to clear it. Some people can, and some people will, will go and say that like, yeah yeah it's it's easy. I can do it. But G3
0: Flico know, is like it, it, crazy good at Gradius three. That's who I always think of. Oof, he owns like that game. Really
1: really good. <laughs> there are a bunch of people that are really 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 good at Gradius uh, Gradius three arcade. Even fans of the genera started to go away from these quarter munchers, like avoid they avoided them. So by principle, we started going in smaller in numbers in in an effort to like help help around that. yeah, uh, games have been trying to make the design a little bit more appealing to to newcomers without compromising the things that the most enthusiast people like. That's how. Novice Modes were born. Right. And it's the fact that they had a really, really poor response to changing market conditions. Yeah, get into that a little
0: bit. Uh, what was kind of the main thing that was passing by the genre?
1: Broadly speaking, games have shifted as a whole, have been shifted, shifted from like more difficult, shorter skill-based challenges with uh, fewer and fewer goals to less difficult and here comes the keyword which i particularly don't enjoy to less difficult experiences that are longer right uh yes. more narratively driven and often present a whole bunch of objectives which personally i do not i do not enjoy uh, at all but this has also given rise to like indie games and indie spaces and yeah it's just like heritage from the arcade days they they never evolved around to to accommodate to the new people or to accommodate in a way that it didn't compromise. Something that we can say about Gradius Three as well with the S N E S port. Something that to this day, like many many people who are big into retro stuff will recognize Gradius Three. They won't ever have seen like Gradius Three arcade. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So we could talk about like exploring new settings and themes. This is gonna sound maybe stupid to some people who are very, very, very much enthusiasts of the of the more military based shmups that Cave has done. But Mushihime-sama and Death Smiles are arguably some of the best performing ones ever. And yeah, sales-wise, right? Coincidence? Yeah, I don't think it's a it's a coincidence that they're so popular. And they explore so vastly different settings. Mushihimisama with all the Valley the of Nausica and, and Death Smiles with the whole Moe, early 2000s kind of look. Yeah, the Gothic and, uh, Moe. I don't know what to yeah. call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would also mention it like that, like Gothic Moe. Yeah. And then we gotta bring it back to Aspirate and a little bit with a more relatable like human characters some people will go to the extent of like saying like it 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 improved a, like a light narrative ele- element that maybe gamers were actually either used to by then or that they wanted or expected in games you
0: can definitely I, see I, I that think... with toho right there are a lot of toho fans that the narrative they're all about that narrative and not so much about the actual gameplay which is not really a thing with other shmups that I'm aware of. I mean, people talking about how great Don Pachi's story is, or something. You know, I think it. I think there's something to that. Yeah. You have the humanoid characters that people connect with a little easier than the anonymous pilot inside your badass spaceship. Even though I do enjoy that, but I do know what you mean.
1: It's a it's a matter of getting to understand the expectations of um, maybe mainstream gamers. And uh, but not compromising your vision, your like your vision of enthusiastic like arcade experience. So I know it's not it's not easy. It's not easy to do. Shmups are skill based games that are all about mastery. It's a
0: new trend that I'm Uh seeing right now. And I want to hear your thoughts on this, actually, is I'm noticing with the beat-em-ups that are coming out. So Fight and Rage, Streets of Rage 4. They're kind of doing a thing where they're doubling the game length to the point where I can clear them in one sitting, but it's an hour and a half to two hours sitting, as opposed to, I'm beat 'em them up, sorry, a little bit longer than shmups anyway, but like turtles in time, that's about an hour, right? But they're literally like doubling the game length. And I'm interested to hear, because I'm kind of divided on that, because in some ways, I feel like it is sort of compromising what the arcade experience is. Because, for instance, when I was trying to grind out, I can't remember the term, the highest difficulty in uh, Streets of Rage 4. It's not lunatic. I can't remember what it is. But essentially, like, the lunatic difficulty of that game. I was like, every attempt's going to take, like, two hours. And I remember it took me to get a hard mode clear. It took me, like, four hours of sitting there and doing attempts. And a lot of it, too, is the way they do it is they take kind of that difficulty curve that you normally hit in stages four and five. And they kind of just stretch it a little bit longer. Not that it's poorly done, but it's like you're taking. Imagine you took Pach and you just stretched it and just added in five more stages in there. But it seems to be appeasing the mainstream crowd. Like when reviewers review it and stuff, they're yeah. they're more favorable towards that. So I'm I'm a little bit yeah for sure yeah so I'm a little bit divided sure. on how I feel about that. Where it is the new thing? Like, are we going to start playing these? extended length shmups these extended length beat em ups and stuff like that I'm not totally against it but it is a little bit weird because like I'm saying if you're going for like high insane difficulty mode clears you're in for a hell of a time because it's it's gonna be like a six hour grind session I
1: think it's less appealing directly to the mid core crowd to say it in that way and it's more about flattening out your learning core your learning curve Right because arcade games since since they had to be compact, they had to be short to beat because like uh you wouldn't want somebody like eight hours in a freaking single credit yeah exactly in in, in the arcade, they had to be short to compensate the level design used to be like really, really really, really really freaking hard the, that's the... why the learning curve for for arcade games it's usually like a it's not even a slope. Nope. It's like a huge climb. It's, this, it's a freaking we need to give that a term. I want to call it like
0: the stage three wall or something, because in cave games, it, I remember when I was first learning cave games, it was literally like stage one, stage two. Yeah, I got this. I got stage three. I'm dead. When I was playing DOJ, I was actually playing White Label at the time. I didn't realize that White Label was harder too. I thought, how do people clear this consistently? Which is funny looking back on. But because that difficulty wall is so strong,
1: I think it's more about flattening out the learning curve. Because since people, since developers nowadays are not compromised by the arcade uh, restrictions and uh, design, as a matter of of business wise, then they can actually uh, tend to go to learning curves that are more appealing to a more massive crowd.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're going like for the Mario. So, they're going for the Mario three so they try type to of extend.
1: thing. Yeah, like they go for a, for a longer extent, and then the difficulty just climbs in a, in a sort of an easier, less extreme way. Yes. So maybe the, the game presents uh, new challenges and new gameplay stuff and new types of, of enemies and obstacles in a way that you can combine everything and learn in a less strict way. This this is a controversial
0: opinion, but I want to get your thoughts on it because this this might be some legit advice for shmup developers of the future and stuff like that. It's going to sound pretty heretical, but maybe what shmup developers should start doing as far as breaking into new audiences is inverting the way we treat veteran players and uh, new players So right now, the way we make shmups like M2 and everyone, and I'm not against this, but I'm just saying this is how it is. We treat the veteran players as the target demographic, and then we add in additional features for the new players, like super easy mode and that type of thing. But when I was thinking about like Fight and Rage specifically, I thought, what if they because Fight and Rage kind of caters more, like I said, toward mid cores than like hardcore players just because of that massive game length and all that. What if they made a mode called hardcore mode where they chopped stages out and they chopped the length of the game down and I like concentrated it down to a typical arcade length? What if we started doing that with shmups where, like, let's say they make Zero Ranger 2 and the arcade mode or whatever, the normal mode or story mode of Zero Ranger 2 is a two hour long gradual climb. And then they add in an additional mode that's actually the arcade mode. That's like the 45-minute scoring mode. But most people are going to play the story mode. I'm doing air quotes. Story mode that's two hours long. And maybe that is the way to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? So invert it to where you're catering the kind of main game design to the casual-ish players, the midcourt, And then you add in additional stuff for the hardcore people. That just basically compresses down your your game into like this more traditional shmup, and so we're all playing that for score and everything, and then the newer players are playing like the story mode, so to say, for you know their normal experience. What do you think
1: about that? I I actually agree, and I discussed this around in the in all the game dev channels that I frequent. There's a few things to to address. One of those things is how to make progress tangible to a player that's not used to shmups. Right. Because sometimes maybe a player will play for 10 hours and he won't be able to clear stage three, but he's been getting a lot more consistent and he's been getting a lot more score and he's been improving a lot of things. But since that cannot be visualized and he's not clearing it in the way he expects to, People give up, right, which is exactly. the usual like filter. It's the usual filter that people go through. Having some sort of of mode that visualizes your progress and gamifies your learning process. Which, to be honest, that's something that I praise Danbo from uh, Blue Revolver fame. Right. I the mission praise mode. him all the time for doing that. You got this mission mode where you're gonna learn shmup fundamentals that you're going to be able to use on the arcade mode to get better and clear stuff. And people can feel progress by, by just using the mission mode and all that. And I know Charlene's and Boghug's uh, game, Canical Star Astra, it's going to do something similar to this in, in structure, like uh, having gamified the learning process. If you're just interested in getting the clear, okay, you can go you can go to the arcade mode and grind it grind the runs and get it and then as a last point to all this really really long introduction it's to market shmups better yeah we definitely need to talk uh, about the marketing As shmups became more and more niche, uh, and they still are. Oh, hell yeah. Developers would rather sell for uh, as collectionist items or as something super reserved because the amount of buyers, definite buyers, is limited. I get that. Well, it- Many of the best shmups have been locked away behind excessively high price tags, lack of localization or region-locked consoles, obscure platforms. Many players haven't even had the opportunity to play some of the generous, like most exciting games simply because they're having me available outside Japan. Yeah. Uh, and game-
0: just to reinforce that point, uh, I've had comments on my last video, but you know, shmup, shmups are dead and all that stuff, which I'm hoping people understand that the point of that video was not to say, actually, you know, quit the genre, go home. It was to say, hey, if we want to make a change, we need to do something about it, not just hope cross our fingers that one day it'll happen but just to reinforce that point of them being niche so i would say arguably one of the most significant and important shmup releases in the past few years is ketsui dethany and before that game was released i assumed that it would have been a pretty big deal not massive of course but i figured it would get at least some mainstream ish coverage you know from different websites and i would see reviews for it and it would be a good opportunity for wider audience to be introduced to shmups. That game literally got one review from Eurogamer, so I'm not even sure how long that will continue in the future as far as them allowing those types of reviews. And then if you go on Metacritic, it literally has no Metacritic critical score. It's completely blank. Arguably probably one of the greatest games ever made. Literally no mainstream attention at all. And this is a cave game. It's not just some indie shmup. So... Yeah, I mean, as far yeah. as obscurity, Although, it's no joke.
1: Yeah, in the context, like, in the greater context of gaming media as a whole, it won't drive any clicks. Exactly, because, right. Let's face it, most people, they won't even recognize such a Japanese name. Yes. <laughs> but here's the thing. There's something there's something you, you mentioned before, and that's that if we don't want shmups to be dead, then we got to do something ourselves. That's right. That's... Basically the reason I've been doing everything I've been doing this year is because I gotta be the change that I wanna see. Like I I'm I'm not gonna wait for it to happen or somebody else to do it. It's either if I can do it, then I'll I'll do it. If I can't do it, then I'll team up with people that can do it. This tired perspective and, and pessimistic narrative of i was like, no, nah, I'm just for I'm having more
0: insight onto this, and I think it runs deeper than just people being pessimistic. I also think it's because people have tried in the past and failed. And so in a way, it's also it's also uncomfortable that. to see if someone else came along and succeeded. You'd be like, OK, so I'm just a failure. I'm starting to pick up on these vibes a little bit where I think it's not just that people are like jaded. I think that's also people have given up and they don't want to see basically someone else carry out what they were unable to do, especially moving forward as we start to do things. There's going to be backlash every step of the way. Everything we do, there's going to be some backlash.
1: I can understand somebody who, who would go with a complete different point, like the people we were talking about. They're not necessarily like super pessimistic or super anti everything. They just they've seen stuff coming and gone and and all that. We have to manage some some level of expectations and and aim to experiment and try. And if we fail, at least we fail trying.
0: The literal motto of this channel here where it's like, there's no guarantee. There's a light at the end of this tunnel. There's no guarantee, but let's try it and let's see what happens. That's basically exactly my entire for, for instance, mentality for running this channel.
1: Yeah. For instance, I'm gonna give you an example of a game that people usually like don't mention Dedica so much, but man, man, oh man, Dedica. Dedica is one of the best publishers like ever. They understood everything we're talking about. They understood it from the start, and they tried experimenting and doing different stuff. Well, like, they're basically instance, the art.
0: most relevant shmup publisher by far, right?
1: The issues we've been talking about, one of the main issues is that, okay, people don't know it, they're not available in, in like modern and worldwide accepted platforms, and the fact that people are hesitant to buy, in quotations, 30-minute experiences. At premium collector's price, right? So to counteract that, I think it could be, and I've seen it. I, I've seen it in some games, just getting more shmups localized um, to PC with a competitive price tag. And yeah, I get the I get the point behind the publishers that would that they would always say, no, no, I'm not gonna do it. Like I'm I'm gonna sell ten copies at least i'm going to sell them at a premium price but what i'm trying to get at is that and i i work in like outside of all the marketing i do it's more centered around e-commerce right that's that's my that's my job like that's what i live from basically although I, i've been trying to shift a little bit in in that regard but the the thing is that everything is a, is a funnel i think having a more competitive price tag will naturally increase visibility of the genre and attract new players. And to counteract the lower initial price point, I think developers could sell, like, optional bundles with more expensive collectible hardware. We've seen Capcom do it, custom arcade sticks. We could see Super Play DVDs. We could see soundtracks of DLC. Oh, Limited Run uh, makes and, a killing
0: on all that stuff. I know what you're saying, like with the the Grega release, I'm Mm -hmm. sure the the merch that went along with Grega was probably more profitable than Grega itself. (laughs) Probably, probably. I'd I'd be willing about that.
1: The example I wanted to get at, and and this is why I mentioned uh, some publishers, is actually Crimson Clover. Crimson Clover the main game it's it's always on sale oh my god for like a dollar or two i i have divided uh, feelings on
0: that to be honest but i know it's
1: been bundled before and and all that but they also sell the strategy guide uh the the super play whatever and the soundtrack as a as a bundle that it's usually it's not it's not on sale right so, okay, I'm not saying that you should go like full Crimson Clover <laughs> and sell at $2 a
0: piece. $1.50 and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's too, like, that's I'm, not, crazy. I'm not saying
1: that. But what I'm trying to get at is that you could uh, compensate the reduction in revenue by actually increasing your average order value. How do you increase your average order value? You make appealing upsells. For the enthusiast, the physical stuff, like we were talking about, I could be one of these uh, model ships, like Ikaruga is right, doing right now. Or
0: uh, um, Katsui Destiny, you had to win one them, of these but model they did ship. that.
1: Yeah, and the soundtrack and uh, all that. And uh, then you can have a lower price point. And uh, honestly, I think I, I think some, some shmup developers have, and publishers, more so the publishers than the developers, have been trying to trying to experiment around with that that's something good to to cover on this one i'm very
0: divided on because i'm pulled in two directions where i recognize as a customer that when shmups are cheaper i am more likely to buy them i have like i have tracked this in my own behavior and i'm like a deep enthusiast obviously so if i look at a high price shmup Some releases I will just buy full price, no questions asked. The M2 stuff, that's just no problem. But, like, if it's kind of like an indie ish shmup that I may have heard of and I look at it and it's 25 bucks, you won't pay it. 25 bucks, you won't pay it. I'm like, hmm, like, be real, be real, you won't pay it. So, that's exactly the thing. So, but, (laughs) so people, yeah, people will ironically, that's one side. But the other side that I'm very cautious about is us like deflating these prices to the point where the good cannot be sold at higher prices and we're just forcing everything into like these shovelware prices of okay so blue revolvers now five dollars zero rangers now five dollars because these kind of like shovelwarey type shmups come out at that price point and they get sales so you know what i'm saying
1: yeah i know what you're saying but things first i'm not saying we should go for like five dollars like bargain bin prices. well crimson clover is like
0: do crazy what they yeah, did that, I mean, that's nuts
1: crimson clover goes crazy but that's only because the like the developer uh, doesn't care but, well, about making new, money I'm, like, I'm assuming <laughs> no it's it's also it's also about another thing about our behavior as a niche most people won't spend like a dime on a shmup they would quote unquote pay for because they have a better experience playing on meme.
0: Are you talking about arcade and shmups? Or are you talking about indie shmups?
1: Or Ar- arcade uh, arcade, shmups, okay. arcade shmups? I I, like my, pay, I give up. Pay, I give up people on would those. Pay M2.
0: Yes, I give up on. Exactly. I give up on the arcade shmup discussion because yeah, I I don't know what to say. I think they should just sell the ROMs and you can just load them on RetroArch, but that's never gonna happen. I know that and
1: that's never gonna happen what we need to work on it's on like making it worth it for the user yeah i know because that's that's the economy we we're in yeah i hate these are not gonna pay are not gonna pay full price for something new they don't know but at the same uh, at the same time they won't pay full price for something that unless it gives them like ab absurd amount of new things. And, yeah, uh, well, the, and even the problem then, with the arcade market... people won't play it. Yeah, the problem with even the arcade market won't play it.
0: is they're competing with something that is infinitively, in most cases, superior to them, which is RetroArch, arch, even MAME in a lot of cases. It's just way superior to the arcade ports that we see on the Switch, for the most part. The only exceptions being really the either the late gen games that you can't really get a good emulation experience on like the 360 cave shmups and stuff or the m2 where they go like you said like full force enthusiasts adding all this extra shit on there but like you're saying i hate the arcade thing even i then, hate the arcade stuff even... like i
1: hate <laughs> like the, even re- then, the market for reselling
0: them you're basically buying the rom but you can't play it and then if you give it a bad review, people get all mad. But it's like, well, you did a sh** porting it. Oh my god, yeah, I hate those. Yeah, I
1: know. I, I was know, talking I know you have I, a, like a past, a past with that.
0: I was talking more along Nintendo, the lines of like, Yeah, I was th- thinking more along the line of indie shmups because I do think this the ultimate solution with the arcade shmups is honestly they figure some kind of deal where they can bake retro arch into their port, and so when you buy it, it's like it's got a little slice of retroarch inside there that has the save states the load states all those awesome features you know what i mean like they bake the emulator the into front end? yes they like bake it into the no man they're not gonna like, do I'm that gonna, I'm, I'm... they're not gonna do that <laughs> but i'm saying that would be ideal if they did something like that that's,
1: that's what dot emu did and guess what they're freaking terrible you know what oh i know but
0: you know who kind of does that update
1: update their stuff and it was you know who kind of does that though
0: low-key is m2 they have the same you can tell they have the same framework that runs the ketsui the grega the their ports like they have this little engine in there that you can tell they're carrying through the games and they obviously tweak it and stuff like that if someone really basically if shot triggers started just porting all the roms they could but they didn't have to do the whole treatment where they just basically used that framework and just dumped ROMs into it and you just buy like at cheaper prices. Like I'd be fine with that. It's just the problem we have is like the arcade archives or all these types of things where the, just the emulation quality is really low. So yeah, so then as an enthusiast, you're like, okay, I'm going to buy this ROM, but the emulation quality sucks when you can play it Vastly superior, right? Uh, yeah, it's a mess.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a mess. But then, uh, yeah, we can <laughs> we can, to keep to keep the conversation going because we could we could spend hours and hours talking about like this little things. Let's talk about we, the marketing of about, the like, indie shop prices, plate.
0: though. I'm curious what what your solution was on that.
1: I think maybe it's like some of them have the right idea, but not the right execution. What's the best one? They do, What's the
0: best one? Do you think?
1: In my opinion, and what has worked for me on other items that are not video games, but other kind of items in both, like, the uh, beauty uh, niche and, uh, of all things, the baby niche, right? <laughs> what has worked for me is having a big hook at an accessible price, and uh, then you make the revenue out of increasing your average order value. And how do you do that? you make your customers work for you in a way. So you either give them referrals or you either give them cross-sales or make, maybe make a bundle with another indie, with another indie developer. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, um, I can see that. Maybe, that maybe has a, has a similar game to yours so you can create a bundle. And so right. then it works like a cross-promotion. Like
0: a Zero Ranger a, a, Blue Revolver Double Deal. Where you you could buy both of them together,
1: yeah. Like that. Or or simply simply like having yeah stuff like that. Or having like a lower price point entry price, but then having incredible extras. And with incredible extras, I mean like yeah arrange
0: modes like you maybe, like M2 kind of does that right? Like you buy the base game, then you need to buy the arrange. A lot of the times.
1: Maybe. Are you thinking? Maybe, are you I thinking, thinking yes, like enthusiast yes, yes, people? I like the way I like the way that that Crimson Clover did it, but I think that we could go even further. Like, yeah, the super play is not gonna last too long because we we live in the in the era of internet and YouTube, right? Yes. But maybe if if it was a replay, if it was a replay that is not like a video, but it's a replay assigned to your game after you buy it, like a super play, that or, would be interesting. Or like a soundtrack. Or like
0: behind the scenes. Or, or, or something like that like behind the scenes yes. like interviews yes. like interviews with i'd buy that if they had interviews with clover yeah it. if they had a it. dvd and, you know you know and it was like an interview with clover tack and all his design philosophy behind crimson clover and it showed i don't know like his design documents yeah. and sh- that, that that would
1: be cool for sure that's the kind of thing that i'm saying that like, wouldn't raise your cost but it would by far increase the perceived value right by far then like also having giftable bundles like buy like you buy two and then if you buy two, oh it's that's cheaper that's a great idea it,
0: like buy two then and then if you, you can...
1: buy only one so you can exactly exactly like a like a buy buy one for you and one for your friend yeah right yeah and then you you have some kind of competition mode at, uh, like a weekly competition mode on some mode so you can uh, promote it as as like challenge your friend and if you got a, like a friend that's an enthusiast, then you might say like, "Yo, bro, you're gonna like this game. I like this game. It's gonna be cheaper if we just buy the two. So let's let's do it." So I think that those are like interesting ideas. Also, like there's a huge, huge potential in cross-selling other stuff. When things get get to a certain size, you you can go for maybe print-on-demand stuff, merchandising.
0: Oh, like a crimson clover that- shirt, something like that.
1: Maybe I, I think people would buy something around um game like Zero Ranger. Right. I, I think people yes, would. Right. Or maybe cross sell something for, for Blue Revolver. I've seen, I don't know, I've seen a lot of people like drawing as uh, uh, like uh, you know what this re- fan manga you, and stuff. You know what like, this rem-
0: actually is reminding me of now that you're bringing it up and it, it seems obvious now that we're putting it in this context? But it's like the music industry where. I've heard, like, a lot of bands make most of their revenue on their merch, not on their album sales. But you buy their merch yeah. because you're a fan of their album. So you're saying, like, the same thing with indie games and sh- that, like, yeah, you have exactly. Zero Ranger you, merch that you can buy. I think that would work like, think really of well. It
1: and think of it in this terms. You decrease the entry point to make it more accessible. But you increase your average order value by... Giving extras to cross either cross sell by buying two copies or buying another game, or and so do you, you promote e- each other, or you upsell on, on stuff like merchandise and, and, and whatnot.
0: Yeah, so yeah. it could
1: be rather interesting. Uh, like, I cannot say for sure, but that's the kind of thing that I do for my, for what I do for a living, you
0: know? Yeah, a lot of marketing. So. I've seen that across a lot of industries now that like i was saying yeah. like with the music industry i follow that really closely like that's a huge thing because the
1: music industry the music industry knew knew about this like a long time ago you know who hasn't bought like a record in ages anyone who likes music everybody just listens <laughs> right. on either like spotify or youtube or or like they pirate stuff so they make their money on everything else around the main objective and right. I know that many developers who might be listening to this uh, podcast are going to say, like, hey, but that would be super costy. Super costy. Like, and then that's where I get, get to you and I say, like, would it really be?
0: Yeah, if you like, do the print-on-demand can, sh- and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, you can do print-on-demand stuff. Or you can commission, for instance, maybe a game like Blue Revolver or something. You could commission, uh, the, which is radically popular in, in Japan, actually. Also, a game that was just released, *Wings of Blue Star*, it's been getting a lot of traction in Japan, and a lot of that has to be, has to do with the fact that it's got this anime manga aesthetic. Right, uh, reminds you of like Macross stuff. Yeah, um, Robotech. Yeah, Macross. Yeah, yeah. For instance, Shinu, who is the developer of, of that game, could make it himself. He could make it himself, create like a web comic or something, and he could add that as an upsell. Right, as a DLC, and he could go like the whole mile, you know. Because if that gets popular, then it would promote the game for him, and he wouldn't have to print anything. You know
0: who else does this? He would be di- Toho, it would be digital. Think of Toho that's Toho is the biggest yeah, example. Like think of Toho like this every lesson we need to learn, we just look at Toho and figure out what to do.
1: <laughs> I don't like thinking <laughs> think like that about Toho, but. But there's things that it can be made.
0: Yeah. Well, one and, is definitely yeah. how it's so damn popular. Like, that needs to be studied.
1: Yeah. So we basically covered, uh, well, you introduced me and, and what I do and how coming into the, the Shmup space. And we did a not-so-small summary of how we got here and why Shmups have become a small niche. Well, I think we've talked about the current state of the Shmup community as a whole, a lot about the, the legacy community current situation and I look at what can be done and that's where I, I go in like I, there's a lot of initiatives that I've been going through niche politics it's the kind of thing that made me uh, like quit office jobs like the office yep. politics yes you no know? yep it's, it's the kind of thing that has made me the, the person who I am because I cannot stand that kind of stuff and uh, then I'm gonna explain considered to be like the Maslow or the Hierarchy Pyramid. I take part of this concept out of of a talk with um, Alexer, honestly.